John, you know what, John? Just play the music. <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's me and Bliss, Dr. Stu's podcast, Fireside Chat number 16. You can reach me at askdrstu at gmail.com or birthinginstincts.com. It's my website. Bliss is bliss at birthingbliss.com. And um, yeah, and birthingbliss.com. And we're back in Bliss's kitchen. I know the sound last week was not very good. I listened to myself mm-hmm. in my home office. But the funny, because the week before it was pretty good. So I don't know what the difference was. I don't either. Um, I can't wait to get back in the studio. I like being in the studio. I like holding my microphone. Ah, I was going to get you a microphone. You were? Yeah, just so you can hold it. Just a fake one. You can yeah. give me a fake one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so anyway, so tell me where, what's been going on with you. Well, well, thank you for having me, complimenting me. I appreciate that. No, you look great. Yeah. Yeah, it's noticeable. Well, let me tell you something else that really happened today that made me feel absolutely great that has never happened to me in 38 years. Okay, tell, tell okay. that. So, I did a breech delivery um, on, what's today? Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Sunday, our, our new day, by the way, Wednesday. Sunday night. So this was the, 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 on Yom Kippur, on the, uh, mm-hmm. after, after sundown on Sunday night. I did a breech delivery. Um, the reason I say I did it is because I actually had to help because the baby's heart rate dropped into the 60s, which mm-hmm. I hate. And it was, a compl- it was a complete breach. So the feet were coming first. And so I was able to get the baby out. And then um, they didn't have a name for the baby or anything like that. So then I, I texted them today saying that we're coming for postpartum and the midwife Faith was there. And I said, and by the way, do you have a name yet? And they sent me back a name said Bruce Stewart. And then the last thing, and it's like, okay, so I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm with my cousin who's in town, who is a fourth year medical student. And she's saying, oh, like, I think they, I said, no, they didn't, like, they, no one names a baby after me. And uh, so it turns out they named the baby after Bruce Willis because they like Bruce Willis. <laughs> I like Bruce Willis too. Right. They like him. And the husband sort of looks like Bruce Willis. He's got a cute little, uh, short little beard and a bald head and a mm-hmm. shaved head. So he looks that way and uh, he's a lovely man. He cries on an instant. So that's not like Bruce Willis, but other than that, but then they named the baby. They gave the baby's middle name after me. Oh, right. So sweet. 38 years. You deserve it. Yeah. You know, I should have had a name. I should have changed my name to Wolf or to, um, uh, you know, some uh, J name. And then I could have had a lot of babies named after me, <laughs> <laughs> like Jason or Jesse or, you know, Jeremiah, whatever, because there's a lot of other popular names. But Stuart mm-hmm. is not a very popular name anymore. No. At least not in America. Yeah. You know, maybe in Scotland. Is that maybe. right? Maybe. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's either EW or UA. I'm a UA mm-hmm. kind of guy. So that, that was such an honor. And I was really so moved by it. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to have to keep in touch with these people. Um, she speaks four languages, the mother, fluently. And she's a, she's a, a, bi- a biochemist really intelligent so um i'm just uh, over the moon Yay. about that that was really kind of cool so anyway just wanted to say that that's those things are good even though 2020 is a crazy year yeah you said you were optimistic i am optimistic do you want to say more about that because i control my own fate hmm. i feel like i control my own fate i don't know what's going to happen with the coronavirus, the lockdown. I don't know what's gonna happen with the election. I don't know what's gonna happen with medicine, whether it's gonna be socialized or in California, or the, I don't know what's gonna happen with my license in the future. I don't know what they're gonna do about it, but I feel good because I'm not really beholden 
to anybody to do what I do. Mm -hmm. And if they tell me that I can't do what I do anymore, I'll go someplace else and do what I do. Mm -hmm. Right. And even if that's another country. Yeah. Right. So I just think it's a good year because you know, I, I people know that I moved out of downtown, that I, I moved out of my Century City office. I lowered my overhead significantly. I know. And so financial freedom is a really big thing to have after 30-some years of, of overspending myself, that yeah. sort of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I felt that way, too, when we closed the sanctuary, you know? I remember. It was just tens of thousands of dollars in overhead every month and the freedom of like not having that. And I know a lot of people miss the sanctuary because there's not, there's other birth centers, um, but there's not um, other, what we did. There's nothing like that. There is nothing like people talk about things like that and people mm -hmm. talk about, oh, let's open a birth center with you and then have patients come to you and. And we can do breaches and we could even bring an operating room in there and stuff like that. And I tell them that I thought about all this 20 years ago. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not feasible to do it that way because of all the rules and regs that go along with having an operating room. Well, or, it's not easy and, to and do cost. it and um, have the freedom like you're enjoying. No, but the other thing too that goes along with that is that there is now a, a young female physician coming into Southern California. Flores? Who's going to do... Victoria, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. Who's going to do home birthing. Mm -hmm. And then I'm still working on Shavira and maybe some other people. And if suddenly in 2021, maybe there'll be two or three of us that are doing it. And then, and then I won't, Great. you know, then I won't have to uh, consider moving to so much for my own health as moving just because I want to get out of California. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So did you change your mind about that? Somebody thinks our colors are well coordinated. Why, thank you. Yeah. What's interesting is my shirt is blue. I don't know what it looks like on your It was camera, not intentional. <laughs> it looks blue on Instagram, but it looks purple on uh, know, on Facebook. So right. I know. So Thanks. I I thought maybe I, I would love for you guys to tell us what you'd like to talk about today, because Dr. Fishbein didn't come with a bunch of things, but I thought it would be kind of fun. I got to, a couple verses I can talk about, but okay. yeah. to do a little show and tell about what happens when I come home from a birth because I just came home yeah yeah so little show and tell uh, I had to have a big iced coffee and take a shower because I was oh speaking of I was the dirtiest I've ever been at a birth the other day ever ever well you might want to explain what that means because there's several different meanings for that word so I was there for 34 hours first of all and wow it was a multip so I did not expect that at all. Yeah. Um, and um, so I don't know about you, you midwives, um, home birth providers, but sometimes when someone's delivering on the bed, you sit crisscross applesauce right in front of them. Right. right? And you get stuff on you. Uh, uh, it was like the, the, the splash zone at SeaWorld. Like, no kidding. I stood up and from my hip to my ankle, so I was soaked and dripping. I mean, it was like what? What liquid was it? Was it amniotic fluid? Was it uh, well? Here's blood? An, here's was another it... thing that I learned at that birth: top sheets. You know, we tell people when they do a home birth, uh, put a set of sheets on, put plastic on, and put another set of sheets on. Top sheets should not be dark because if they're dark, you don't know what the fluid is. Ah. So I told my clients now: don't 
just do white. I know you don't want to see the fluid, but I, and my pants were black. So it was really hard to be able to like decipher. I'm pretty sure it was amniotic. Well, you could take, you could take a, you could take a, a sponge or four by four and just wipe your pants and see what color. Well, there you go. Right. But anyways, I was very dirty. So today. My brain, my, oh, what happened to you now? <laughs> if, by the way, if, if, if the, if the internet goes out again. This will be the shortest uh, Dr. Seuss podcast on record because I'm not restarting it again. Yeah, we got to get back in the studio. I got to. We, we, I'm going to have. A, I'm going to start a petition that people start petitioning John to let <laughs> us back. Let us back in his studio in his house. All right. So darn we'll, it. Have to, we'll have to do that. Darn it! Darn it! Anyway, well, sorry guys, got kicked off of the Instagram. But I'm still line. on. Yeah. All right. So. Um, All right. So you have things that you have to clean. This. Is, this well, we clean everything when we leave. Oh, okay. This is my emergency bag. Um, this is the bag, like, if I'm running into the house and um, someone is delivering quickly, I have this and my prenatal bag. And um, this has everything that I would need in the case of um, a precipitous delivery. So that's what Does that it have, is. like, uh, flies and fish hooks in there? <laughs> no. But isn't that nice? Yeah, it's very smart. Do you know why I did this? Why? Because we usually do bowls, right? That's how I was trained, like put it in a bowl or on a cookie sheet. And we had a big bleed one time and the bowl got dumped over and then we went to go and get meds and we couldn't find, you know, like we and were roll, like. And rolled under the bed or Oh, something. no, yeah. but we were like, you know, it wasn't organized. And I was like, never again. So well, I have a, I, have, I think that's great. I have an uh, idea I got from a lovely midwife in San Diego called Paula Tipton Healy. Mm -hmm. She has like a Batman utility belt. <laughs> That she wears, and everything's in the belt. I it's got like that. little pouches on it. I love that. And, and she know, can clip it on and off. She, yeah, she clips it. And it just has a snap, and she clips it on. She clips mm -hmm. it off. Mm -hmm. So even though she has everything in another place too, it's all in there. Obviously, not an IV bag, but everything that you would need for emergency type stuff is right around her waist all the time. That's pretty cool. Right. I want pictures. I want to see what that looks I'll like. Get her to, I'll get her to send us a picture. Thanks for sure. jumping back on, you guys. I'm sorry. I don't know. Our internet is funky today. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I do when I come home from a birth is um, sterilize my instruments. Mm -hmm. You and I do this a little bit different. Well, I have I have a student that does it for me. Yeah. So you just bring them home, right? Yes. And I get mine all ready. I boil them and get them all packaged. And then before I go to sleep at night or like today, I would... I would get them in the sterilizer and then they'll be ready in case I get called quickly to another birth. birth. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, for, for years when I had my office in Century City, we had an autoclave there. So it was just, I would just bring them in the next day and they were, and my staff in the back would, would just clean them for me. Mm -hmm. Now I wash everything off at the birth and then I just put them in a plastic bag and Alyssa takes them home and she cooks them for me there. Right. Yeah. In these, in these, in these bags. Cook some. Yep. Yes. The placenta. That's the other thing I almost always bring placenta. home. Placenta. Almost always bring them home. Placenta. How come you don't do placenta encapsulation? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't do cauldron stuff. I told you that. Yeah, that's cauldron placenta stuff. All right. I, I'm, I'm not a cauldron stuff person. You're not. Right? No. No. Oh come on, Steve. I love it when you talk about like, homeopathy and stuff. I don't though. I say you I say the midwives that. do that. You do something. I mean, I know I know a little stuff because I know a little stuff, but I only know a little stuff because I just sit and listen to you guys do it. So you guys can do it better than I, 
And I and I have gotten to the point in my life where it's for me it's economy of motion. It's like it, why duplicate stuff? Why redo stuff? Why uh, you have your things that you're really good at? I know that you're going to be at the birth with me. I'm not that intellectually curious anymore <laughs> really? about you know pulsatilla or I mean all these things. I know that they're there. I know I know that you use them. I, I know you all have your little yellow box. Mm-hmm. What's in there? Is that, uh, is that homeopathy? That's homeopathy. Mm-hmm. So there's homeopathy, there's herbology, and then there's essential oils. Yeah. It's like three things. Yeah. I don't know anything about any of them. And then like just food and nutrition and stuff like that. I know a little bit about that. But that's only because <laughs> I learned it from you guys. Yeah. They didn't teach us that in medical school. I've told people, I know. I've told people that before. Crazy. We did not a single lecture in four years of medical school on, on nutrition. That's crazy. And even in four years of residency with obstetrics, we never had a lecture on healthy eating and pregnancy that one gets me yeah, really like but you know that's you i can't i can't speak problems. i can't speak what they do now okay now i bet they have good lectures on stuff because they have less practical skills they're not they don't get trained in a lot of the practical stuff we spent we were so busy catching babies and doing things and learning breaches and learning putting forceps on and all that stuff that we got great hands-on training and the book learning was was not as important back then. Now I think that book learning is is number one because almost you're always le- they're always learning for the tests too because now there there's more far more testing academically whether it's annual annual maintenance certification for the boards or other things. I don't th- my my cousin who's the medical student is here was talking a little bit about all the different tests that she has to take and I can't even remember what they are the national boards part one part two. There's another part and stuff. It's like, I, I remember taking national boards after my first year of internship. And then I took something, CREOG or something like that in my senior year. And that was and that was it. And then board certification came two or three years later after you would be able to build up your case list. Because you had to have a case list. Now, it's really hard for doctors coming out of residency to get an adequate case list because surgery is so much less. So I think they're changing what's required to take the, the, the boards. But a lot of people who come out, you know, I think you have six years or maybe even longer. Once you finish your residency, you're board eligible for a certain number of years and then, and then you're not anymore. And you need to be board certified now in order to be on insurance plans or some hospital privileges or all those sorts of things. And so what the boards have done is that they've, they've said, well, it used to be board certified for life and then it was for every 10 years and it was for every six years. And now they've changed it every year simply so that they can charge money mm-hmm. um, because there's absolutely no evidence anywhere that suggests that a board certified person who takes maintenance of certification every year is a better physician than somebody who, you know, trained uh, in an apprentice model, right. something. So, but it's a money-making scheme and everything is about power and money in our lives. Speaking of our licensure. What about it? This is my birthday month. I have to renew on my birthday month. But I moved. And as many of you know, I had a lot of tragedy last year. Um, and the year went by so friggin' fast. Yeah, and everybody was distracted with all the other stuff that was going on. Well, and I just was breathing. Um, and before I knew it, I looked up and it was my birthday. And I, I needed to renew my license. And so... We were taking the, we were redoing the um, NRP. NRP, and I said, "Hey, do you think they'd give me an extension because my daughter died this year?" And everyone was like, "Yeah." And I don't know why I hadn't thought about it before, you know. 
So I reached out to both NARM and the medical board. No. No. Not even a condolence. From NARM even. Those were midwives. Really? Really. Yeah. They were just like, oh, you have until the end of the month. So, you know, it, if you're late, we'll charge you $50. But that was it. So, so theoretically, if, you, if your shocked. license had expired by a day and you had done a birth on that day, would you be in violation of the law? Yes, you would be in violation of the law and you could lose your license. Could you could you be charged with a felony for practicing medicine without a license? Perhaps. Like, if they like, wanted to like, if they really wanted like to go after you. Once. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If they really wanted to go after you for sure. Anyway. Yes, yeah, skipped nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't teach it. No, they don't teach it to doctors. That's that's the shocking thing. They may now. Yeah. Again, I don't know. But again, they teach yeah. they teach sort of medicalized nutrition, and so mm -hmm. it's 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 a whole different thing than the kind of nutrition that people like you and Alex and mm -hmm. you know all the well, Alex is Alex Evangelidi. She's one of my friends and uh, mentors, and she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's probably the best. She's in, got like in a, the biz. She's got you know you've heard of a sixth sense. She's got like an eighth sense. <laughs> She does. She's really amazing. Yeah, you know, we had a, we had a client together recently, and she told me off the record that <laughs> what? Well, it's off the record, and then you're gonna. No, no. Them. I mean, it's okay. Now. I mean, it's it's all over with and done. Uh -huh. she told me, you know, she just got a feeling that 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 her labor was not gonna go as smoothly as she thought. Mm -hmm. And it's like I didn't get that feeling at all. And sure enough, her labor didn't go as smoothly as we thought. <laughs> right. So I don't More know how she knew that, but stuff. you know, sometimes it's a that's a curse. To know ahead of time and, and, and have to do it anyway because you have to go through the motions. Yeah. Right. So Debbie Baldry says, how do you process? Oh, how do you process the instruments exactly? So what do you do? Um, what we do, there's a couple of things that come in um, our birth kit. Um, one of them is an iodine kind of scrubby. And then there's a solution um, that is for cleansing. So what we do is we scrub them. We put them in water and scrub them with it's this. A little scrubby. metal. It's a little metal. Set. No, it's like bristly brush, mm -hmm. but it's it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. And then we boil them. And then um, I was always taught to put um, a four by four in with the instruments that get sterilized as well, so that you have it. And then um, you put the four by four in to absorb moisture, or what do you put the four by four in there? So that when you use it, you have a four by four that's sterile, handy, oh. and you don't have to go to like open. Augustine taught me that at her birth center. Oh, okay, I think it's a kind of a cool tip. Um, you could also, if in your suturing kit, you could do those little um, uh, tampons. You know, how they make tampons for suturing out of the gauze. Have you ever seen those? No. Uh, you unravel them and then they have like a tail on them so that you could open up your instruments and then you would put that in to like absorb the blood. But it would be in and there. And it has like a little tail so yeah. you don't lose it inside? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they, I did, uh, they, they have those at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're called lap sponges and they usually have a tail, but they're bigger. So you're saying they make smaller ones then? No, you make it yourself out of one of these. And what do you use to, you put a suture through it? How do you, what's the tail? It's just part of it. You just, how you wrap it, you uh, wrap it around and then you leave a part of the four by four down out. so that, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Anyways, I don't know if that was more information than you wanted to know. And then, um, you put it in, sorry, you put it in, um, the oven at 200 overnight. That's how you do it. How many hours? 
I think you legitimately, if you look at Anne Fry, it's like two. two but for right. me, when I go to bed, I just put it in. Oh, and you put um, uh, one of your glass pans with water in it, and that's what sterilizes it. So you put a glass pan underneath it. Mm -hmm. So this this makes it a little bit of a steamy thing. Mm -hmm. How do, what, after all night is the water gone? Sometimes, but not usually. Okay. Only if we forget and we start to like heat the yeah. oven. <laughs> we we use it. We use a uh, crock pot. Yeah, you can use a crock pot. Yeah. You know, but the problem with the crock pot is that if you have longer instruments, they don't fit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like the ones that you. But like the ring start. forceps and mm -hmm. stuff, they don't fit. But I was telling a, a student um, that we used to all home births when I had my birth. So let's see, 1992, uh, 2000, and 2003, you would actually, I don't know if you know this, you would get all of the towels and the blankets that we asked them to gather and you would put them in a paper bag and you would take that up and you would sterilize it in the oven and then you would put it with the birth supplies and you wouldn't touch it because... We believed back then that things that touched the baby needed to be sterile, but that's not, we know all these things now about the biome and all of that. So it's not a sterile process no. as we've talked about. The only thing that you really need a sterile field is if you are suturing. Do you take your cloth things like your, your scale and stuff and do you wash them every time? Yeah, that's the other part of my oh. show and tell. Oh, okay. So this is a lovely scale. Um, what do you call them? Sling that someone gave me. It's felt on the inside, and it's I love this. It came from Europe. It's like a big blueberry. Isn't it cute? I love this, and the baby goes inside there. I love this thing. It's an Ann Geddes moment, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> um, and then these um, were inspired by Beth's mom made them for Beth a while ago, and mm. now you know we have bunch of people who have them but this is a measuring mat so you can go around the baby's head and the chest and the abdomen and then the length yeah you don't have to keep sliding the the right. either the plastic or the paper tape measure so these, plus it's plus it's cute plus it's cute right. so these yes i i wash these every time so that's part of my process when i get home at night massage stone heater for chickens <laughs> but i don't yeah, any anything that's going to get to the hundred, to a couple hundred degrees, but you have yeah. to you have to buy these, which is not a big deal. No, right. and these come in our birth kit, which is oh, really you order nice. in your birth kit, right? Yeah, pretty much everything besides my medication I, I don't have them in goes mind. in because I buy them by in bulk and they're in the office. But yeah, so that's cool when people order their birth kit, um, the sutures and these things and how to clean your instruments and all of that stuff is just right there. So. We'll show and tell for you guys. I don't know if you. Yeah, you know, it's like a, I, I, I saw I was at a postpartum visit today. I said that already. That's where little Brucey Stewart, mm -hmm. Brucey Stewie <laughs> was was named. Um, the midwife, Faith, did a, a newborn screen on the baby mm -hmm. and she had a technique that I'd never seen before. Mm. Tell me. So she didn't use a heater. Mm -hmm. OK, which is fine. Mm -hmm. She sticks the baby just one time. Mm -hmm. She squeezes the foot. The drop falls into the little circle. Then she takes the whole card and she goes like that. Mm -hmm. And it moves the drop of blood before it soaks in. And so she really, each circle took about two drops and that was it. Remember how we're sitting there going. Din, 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 din. <laughs> yeah. So, and she got it down and she said she saw it. Uh, one of her mentors told her how to do it that way. So even though I don't do the newborn screens. Yeah. You guys do. You yeah. should try it next time. 
So when the drop comes down, you could just you take the whole card and you just go around, and then you can actually see what what more you need. Plus, it soaks through more. Remember how sometimes it looks red on the one side, and you flip it over, mm -hmm. and you've got to put some more blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this works really, really well. Maybe really, I'll have you do it. I'll watch you. I'll do one circle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do. I should have videotaped you doing it. Right. Um, oh, you liked the show and tell. Thanks, Stephanie. Um, I wasn't sure, but you know, I was driving home from a birth, and I thought. I could totally just walk in with my stuff. I thought you were going to get here before me, but yeah, I no, got we a came, chance to shower we, for you we guys. We came and, and then I had to drop my cousin off uh, at my house. She's waiting. She's taking an online course. This is great, by the way. Um, first of all, she's very smart. Uh, she's a, How old is she? She must be 30. Maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She is a fourth-year medical student. Uh, she's a DO student in Florida. And because they're having trouble right now finding rotations in the hospital setting because of the lockdowns and the coronavirus and stuff, their, op their, their school was open. And this is a DO school, not an MD school, uh, which is pretty much the same thing uh, in every, most people's eyes, except the snobby people who run, you know, high class hospitals or residency programs won't even look at a DO student. Um, but uh, so she submitted one to come to work with me. And it was great because now I, I have a medical student, which is the first time I've had a medical student. I still have my midwife students as well. You know, I'm now I'm now a, a, a gaggle when I go to. A, you. A, a, I've been I've been at places with you like that where you have a gaggle. I have a gaggle. So. Do your clients we, mind that? Uh, if they do, then we then we then we sort of pick one. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Right. And sometimes my student won't go at all. Like to the breech birth we had recently. My student didn't come Sorry. because... <laughs> just trying to see if I could turn you upside down yeah. while I'm charging. Okay, yeah. keep going. You can use this to put it underneath there and maybe lean it on that okay. or something like that. Sorry, okay. guys. Wiggling. Um, so this is great. So she... I, I, I want to I paraphrase her commentary about the breech birth because mm -hmm. people in the medical world... Complex? Never watch women labor. Mm -hmm. So I got to do for her what Alex Evangelini did for me at one of my first home births. Mm -hmm. You know, she said, you know, I, we started talking about the sounds the woman's making. Yeah. And so early on, she's just moaning. And I get this is great stuff like that. But when she starts to, the, her voice will go deeper mm -hmm. and there'll be more growling. And, and I used the word lionessing and she laughed at that. I said, no, that's really what it is. Think mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you know, the sounds are changing and she's, she's learning from that. And she loved the idea that all of us were sort of just in the other room, just sitting around. Mm -hmm. There was one of the midwives or one of the midwife students would go in periodically to listen. Her husband was running around cooking and doing all the things that, because he's just a guy that's, he's such a sweet guy and he was just involved, but, but he wasn't, you know, and then he would be in there when she wanted him in there. Mm -hmm. uh, she got to all four. She started making those scuttural sounds. We knew the baby was complete breach. So we knew the feet were going to come out first. You know, first thing we see, we start to see a little meconium, but but nobody's doing anything. It's really, really calm, really quiet. We're listening to the heartbeat. The heartbeat's been great all the way through. Nothing's, nothing's changed. She gets to the point where she's feeling more urge to push. And we like to have breech babies labor down. She'd never seen that before. She's always been told, oh, you're, you're 10 centimeters dilated. It's time to push. No. And of course, 95% of the people she sees who actually deliver vaginally have an epidural. Mm -hmm. So they don't have any sense of what's going on. Right. And she just came from a rotation where the C-section rate with her doctor was over 50%. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I believe it. Right. In, in Miami. It. Miami's C-section rate's really high. Apparently. Yeah, I believe it. Sort of like Brazil. It's a, it's a culturally mm-hmm. cool thing. You know, it's the classy thing to do is to have a C-section. So, Don't ruin your vagina. And the, and the, and the doctors there encourage it. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they sort of, they play to their crowd, I guess, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, she'd really never seen that happen before. And then and she's on all fours pushing. She, well, I want you to see that happening in a medical school thing. And eventually the heart rate went down into the 60s and we had to get her up on the bed, turned her over. The baby's feet were just visible at the introitus and I was able to you know reach up at that point and grab the feet and pull the baby out. Um, that wasn't even impressive to her, which it was which was really cool because she's never seen that before. Uh-huh. But what's impressive to her is we put the baby on mother's chest. Mm-hmm. We gave the baby 30 seconds or so. The baby opened its eyes. It had that stunned look. It wasn't like I'm not in my body look. It was that stunned look. Heart rate was over. Heart rate was in the 80s, but it was above 60. So we were about ready to give it some PPV. Mm-hmm. And wah, the baby cried. And nobody and nobody moved the baby. Nobody, and that was, that was what she was most impressed about is that everybody was quietly doing their thing in the room and the mother and baby were, were just sitting there. And so yes. if nothing else happens during this whole thing, but we've, I've got five sets of twins due, so she's gonna see probably all five because mm-hmm. she's here for another three weeks. Um, but if nothing else happens, the fact that, that this person now has experienced that will change. She's gonna go into OBGYN. She wants to be, she's a yeah. fourth year medical student. So she wants to do OBGYN. She'll have to suffer through a classic residency program, but in the back of her mind, she'll know that what I'm doing is not right. right. What you're doing no, is what, not right? What, what, oh, what yeah. She, yeah. What, she, what yeah. she's doing as a resident yeah. is not right. I think every uh, med student should have to go. I mean, every OBGYN med student should have to see a home birth. Right. I do. Right. Because then I think that they'll also know what we're doing and not think that we're completely crazy. Yeah, that's the you. breaking of the silos thing that, mm-hmm. that Augustine talks about. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, I did an interview with a, uh, a well-being uh, seminar that's going to be on online coming up, I think, within the, within a few weeks from Australia with a chi- Australian chiropractor, Marcus, Marcus Chacos, is, I think is his name. He's from Canberra, which, by the way, for those of us that don't remember, Canberra is actually the capital of Australia. Mm. Everybody thinks it's Sydney or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, I or, didn't know Or that. Melbourne or, or whatever. It's yeah. actually Canberra. Mm-hmm. I say that correctly. Excuse me for my Australian person listening. I'm sorry. We, we might have lost her. Oh, but she, but she, um, uh, he uh, interviewed me and we did talk about that. We, one of the things we talked about, because he's a chiropractor and he wants to know, I said, I said we, should, we need to have chiropractors and acupuncturists and midwives and labor nurses and doctors and, and family practice doctors and and all spend like a year of training together where they allow chiropractors and midwives into the hospital and people that nurses and labor and delivery and doctors come out of the hospital and they see things you know can you imagine can you imagine the the better world we would have in the obstetrical world when we wouldn't have the people that are running the show like in certain cities around here in southern california where VBAC is banned, breach is banned, um, going past 39 weeks without being induced is banned. Uh, everything that comes out of the doctor's mouth is fearful and scaring a woman and funneling her down the path to do stuff. I mean, this is the norm. This is the norm. And these are the people that are the standard bearers of our profession who are the ones who sit in judgment of you, the midwife, mm-hmm. or me, the home birth obstetrician, mm-hmm. who think that you know everything is high risk 
and I, you know, and I would disagree with that. I don't think that just because someone has a breech baby or they're twin or twins, they're high risk. Mm -hmm. All right. They may become high risk, but to label somebody high risk at 10 weeks into their pregnancy almost guarantees them to become high risk because they're going to be worried the entire time of the pregnancy. And what does that do to the epigenetics of the baby that's forming inside of the babies that are forming inside of them? Right. Uh, when the mother's worried all the time. Right. So bringing people together, breaking the silos, that, that is, that would be key. I don't know how it happens, but you know, little, little baby steps now, maybe at some point, uh, somebody will come up with an idea where we can figure that out. We'll get innovative people. And if we can get the next generation of medical students and, and, uh, and residents to, to think like this, they will be the future people who run OB programs and maybe there'll be some changes. I don't know. I don't know. There's so many other things going on right now that it seems like it's kind of low on the total. But nothing pole. is more important really than how we get started. Uh, I mean, I agree. I agree. Just fighting the whole system, you know. I mean, when I when I was um, creating the sanctuary with Alex, um, you know, that was the vision was that we were going to open up these centers all over the country and actually like compete with hospitals um, so that hospitals yeah. would have to change their policies because there was such a demand for out of hospital delivery that it would force the hospitals to actually have to like compete with that. Right. That didn't happen. No, that was a beautiful idea. No, there's, there's, too, there's too many obstacles put in place by too many by big business, big government to make that really impossible to do. Yeah. Um, but we need to do something because the system right now is horrible, horrible and ugly. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who listened to my last one with when you weren't there, but I talked a little bit about um, an, uh, uh, anonymity on the internet or an, an, an anonymous complaints and how the First Amendment and free speech was not supposed to be anonymous. And I'm really sick of you uh you know getting getting a complaint or getting a, a, oh, yeah. a yelp review or something by anonymous yeah. okay because we have the right we should have the right to be able to confront it and if you have an opinion and you want to state it you should be bold enough to say i'm Stuart fishbein and this is my opinion not i'm you know uh, uh king's fan 367 from los angeles some anonymous person who who can put anything out there. And I, the reason I'm so angry last week was because, I'll give an update on it, was because a patient of ours who got transferred to the hospital and ended up having a C-section in the hospital came home and was uh, approached five days later by Child Protective Services. It's horrible. It's happened to my And it was too. an anonymous complaint. It's horrible. And they're not allowed to know that. Yeah. And now they found out a little bit more about the complaint and they want to see who wrote the order and the results of the blood test that led to the complaint. And the hospital attorney is fighting them. He's not, it's like, wait, you do, you did a blood test without telling us and you, it's the basis of an anonymous complaint and we're not allowed to see the blood test result. And they're fighting them, okay? Why are we fighting each other, all right? What, 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 is, what is the role of this attorney and these administrators at the hospital? They think they're, they're so righteous that they're protecting a baby more than the parents, parents are? Yeah, it's 
horrible. Happens all the time. Yep. Well, I, you know, I had an anonymous complaint. I, I talked about it on the podcast before this year about a birth that occurred. They don't know the name of the patient mm -hmm. and they don't know the, and the, and the person who complained is anonymous. And yet I had to spend an hour and 40 minutes missing part of my NRP course. Which is not good. On the phone to deal with this and, mm -hmm. and open up a can of worms. And it's, I'll never do that again. I will never do that again. I will never cooperate again. Well, it's good to know. <laughs> we learn these things. Don't have dark sheets. Don't talk to the medical <laughs> We learn. Right. We learn as we go, right? Let's see what Miranda says. Oh, don't have anything better to do. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> Unfortunately, we pay these people to do these sorts of things. And by the way, what's really annoying about these people is they get paid even when their department is closed, like if they're a government worker. Mm -hmm. So that's what's really annoying. We have people telling us we can't do this, we can't do that, we have to do this, we have to do that. And it may ruin our business, it may ruin our, our life, it may hurt anything. And... and, and they they just sit there and they get paid and they get a pension and a retirement plan and health plan paid for by the by the very people that they're harassing indirectly so uh oh my gosh nickel says i love the energy you two bring when you're together we haven't been together in a long time so it's kind of fun it's well thank of, thank you for saying that yeah it's kind of bliss, fun. And, bliss and i um yeah it, it is very comfortable i mean I noticed that there's no puzzling going on on your on your table right now. That's not true. There's totally a puzzle. Oh, it's got your puzzle cover on it. <laughs> I have a puzzle cover. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yep. Yeah, it's right behind us. You can see the table in front of the window is Bliss's puzzling table. <laughs> and she and she's puzzling. Oh, then we even did a whole I'm podcast. Kinda, we did a whole podcast about puzzling. I'm kind of a puzzle nerd since my my sweetie died. I, yeah. It's one of it's kind of like a meditation, you know. I just sit there, listen to music, and it's really great. Um, Do you ever get really frustrated though, or is it, is it you find it peaceful because you eventually find the peace you're looking for? I actually put a puzzle away. I've never done that before. It was a driving. It was crazy. a Van Gogh puzzle, and it was mostly beige. And I thought it would be challenging, and so I was like, "Okay, I'm up for the challenge." And then I just wasn't. Which one was it? Fun. Was it was it like wheat fields? Was it haystacks? Was it? It was similar to haystacks. It was like two people like laying in front of a haystack, same color. Oh. Um. And um. So then I put it away, and I got I got butterflies and and flowers, and like it was all color, and it made me much more happy. So I decided yeah. maybe I don't need a challenge right now. No. Maybe I don't need. Oh, are you from? Oh, Jackie Dula. Are you from Switzerland? Let us what she, know. What did she say? She said, "I think, from my perspective, it is a major U.S. problem coming from Switzerland." Which, which we talked about a few things, and which is the major yeah. U.S. problem? Um, I think it's she's just an American about, problem. Yeah, I think about being sued. Um, like the the litigious probably because it's yeah, a, we it's a it's a private um thing whereas in a lot of european countries well, like in, in, yeah in, so in canada they have a law that you can't sue the government and it's <laughs> government-run health care so you you can't the doctors don't get sued in canada they're not allowed even even when they make a you know look at I, I i could talk about this for a second not all bad outcomes are negligence 
Right. And not all good outcomes are a result of, of, of skill. Sometimes you get lucky. But uh, so malpractice should be re reserved for negligence where there's actual malice or, or, or negligence, not just because you had a bad outcome. Right. But that's not the way it works in our country. In our country, if you have a bad outcome and you have a baby that is suffering or has a problem, that, that's, that's a goldmine for a uh, plaintiff's attorney. But more so with obstetrics, right? Because, I mean, Yeah, well, because you you're, talking, you're, you're talking about some a, a baby. You're talking about a lifelong financial calculus. You know, if there's malpractice on somebody because they have uh, knee surgery or hip replacement at, at age 78, that is not as valuable, even though that person may die from the surgery and it's valuable to the family as a baby being born who has, there's ne or there's negligence involved and has a lifetime of needing care mm -hmm. because something happened, mm -hmm. you know, during the pregnancy or during labor or just afterwards or in the, in the nursery or even after that. Something's getting so, it, and it's so expensive in our system because there isn't necessarily government care for all these people. Mm -hmm. that the legal system is used that way. I think, in my opinion, and maybe it's just because my views are are, are, are skewed by, well, I think I have a wider view than most of my co physician colleagues, but I think it's blown way out of proportion, the fear of litigation. I think the fear of litigation is, is thick in their system because their system is, is flawed in how, they, in how they provide care. When you see volume when you don't, when, the, when, you, when you're taking care of people you've never met before, all right, you're far more likely if there's a bad outcome to be sued because they don't know who you are. Right. Yeah. When we had the sanctuary, we had a lawyer look at like the cost analysis of getting malpractice insurance, which is not required for midwives or um, non-accredited birth centers. Um, so we looked at it and they, he said the statistics of midwives being sued is so low compared to what you would be paying for this. It's probably better to just not get it and then pay it out if you need to. Um, so I've kind of followed suit with that and, um, you know, done that. But I have to say, I think that a lot of midwives and midwifery, midwifery training also has a lot of that fear kind of put into it. It's like, you know, the uh, defense of charting and making sure that you do all that stuff. And that's all coming from the fear of either losing your license through the medical board because, you know, they, they don't need an excuse really to take away our license. No, they you don't. Know, like they don't. If, if we were investigated and they had enough, they would just go for it. If you're so, not well connected, you're very vulnerable. And, most, very most, vulnerable. and most midwives yeah. and most physicians too are, are not well connected. And mm -hmm. then there are the connected ones who get away with everything mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. the hospital protects them or because they're well, i got stories i mean uh, i got so many stories of of things that happened while i was a resident or while i was an attending at the hospital when i used to work at the hospital that are out, so outrageous and nothing ever happened to these people and yet there are other there are midwives who got reviewed for a broken clavicle while a you know, an OB didn't get reviewed for um, taking out the wrong ovary, you know, mm -hmm. um, these sorts of things. And it's, it's, it's really commonplace. And I, I still remember um, very, a very famous situation where in, in my, when I was a resident at Cedars, there was an attending at Cedars who happened to be married to the daughter 
of a Supreme Court justice, right? And in those days, the women came in the night before surgery for their histories and physicals. They didn't come in the same morning and get the surgery. And he came in the night before. So the resident would then work them up. We did the history and physical. Then we normally would help because we did the history and physical, we'd get the help on the surgery. Mm -hmm. He never let any of us, we had to do all the, all the work, all the rounds, all the, all the post-op care, and never let us do any of the surgery. So when I was a third year resident on a service, I noticed that this woman was on post-op day four and there were no notes in the chart from the attending physician. None. Okay. I came in the next morning and there were notes for all five days written in the chart. But because I'm a nudnik, I photocopied the chart the day before. Mm. So I took a copy of the chart without the, without the notes in it and then a copy of the chart with all the notes appearing. And when the hospital has a rule that you, oh, the attending should see the physician, uh, the, the client every 24 hours, within every 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took it to the chairman of the department and absolutely nothing happened. Nothing happened. If that had been a, a different physician or a physician out of favor or, or somebody like me later on in my career, they would have, they would have hounded me. Yeah. Yeah, we don't right. have as much wiggle room. Yeah, I would have been called in because I because a, 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 one of my clients didn't get seen in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. This was four days she hadn't been seen by the attending. Yeah. I mean, the residents had been seeing her. Mm-hmm. Okay. And nothing happened because he was powerful at that hospital. Yeah, it right. happens all the time. I know. <laughs> it shouldn't. No, it shouldn't, it but shouldn't. it happens all the time. Right, right. But it gets me, it gets me back to my original point about the idea that if you want to complain about something, if you want to troll somebody, where else? Use your name. Don't be a coward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I could be king, I would. I would take away the ability of people to be a- uh, anonymous on the internet. Okay. I think it would. It would. It would settle a lot of. It would calm things down a lot. When people are anonymous, when people don't know who who you are, you you can say some of the meanest, nastiest oh, things. Oh yeah. Right? People people hide behind the internet for sure. King, not president, huh? You'd want to no, be king? I, no, because president, you know, you you could be impeached. No, <laughs> I guess king, you could be. Uh, what did what they do to a king? They, Ruler of the world. No, they they overthrow them. I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. but I just said for a day, just king for a day. Oh, for a day. Right. Okay. I think I said for a okay. day. Okay. Um, any last minute uh, questions? Oh yeah, we're out of time. Before we sign off. Um, so this was a this was one of those things where we we had no topics and we still killed an hour. Oh, we could totally kill an hour. Um, next week, we have a new time. So Wednesdays at 10 a.m. instead of Fridays at 11. Um, so join us. Yes, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Yeah. Unless we're at a birth. Of course, unless we're at a birth. I've got uh, a diabetic and five sets of twins left for October. Yeah. All right. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um. And then you can always find us uh, on com, where everything is archived. So this Facebook Live thing, how long does Facebook Live stay up on your, does it stay forever? I think so. Well, whatever. But they can find it there. They can always find it on com. Again, you can find me at, my website is birthinginstincts.com, and we're going to be updating some stuff. I'm working with Renee to do that. And uh, you can write me at askdrstu at gmail.com. And that's askdr. S-T-U 
at gmail.com. And please send questions. We love them. We we really love to hear what you guys want to hear about and talk about. It's um, We're here for you. So let us know. And we will um, see you next. Oh, Bliss, are you still? Yes, please. I'm looking for stories. I'm writing a book. And the book is about... Um, birth stories, but birth stories where you um, feel like you transformed and something really, <laughs> you know, profound shifted in the way that you um, beheaded, um, in the way that you see yourself. So I would love for you to send me those. Um, I don't know, uh, sometime next fall, I'll be um, doing a writing retreat, let's just say, um, and um, I'll be writing it then. but. We love you. We so appreciate you um, taking time out of your day to sit here and listen to us just shoot the shit. You almost said what I normally always say. What? We know you have choices. Yeah. Well, yeah. To spend an hour with us You're is an honor. You're my mentor. Spend an hour with us is an honor. And uh, so share us, by the way, and we, I haven't said this in a while, but but share share us. Uh, um, like us. Share share this on to your friends, right? <laughs> yeah. Our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Is it share or is it? What am I thinking of? No, they they uh, they subscribe. Subscribe. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. share on, on your Apple mm -hmm. on your Apple Podcast mm -hmm. app. And make comments that helps other people find us. Jackie, we will cover that next week. We'll talk about how doulas and OBs can work better together. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Get rid of all the OBs. <laughs> right, doulas take over the world. Right. Bye, you guys. Have Thanks. a good day.